You're listening to From Here with Delia and Don. In this episode, Delia will be asking me some questions uh, so that we can um, find out a little bit about um, who I am as a parent and also just give you a little bit of um, introduction uh, to me. So Delia and I uh, have been having these conversations um, and wanting to bring you into a little bit of how we think of ourselves as uh, Asian Americans and Asian American parents. So are you ready to go, Delia? I am excited. Um, And so the name of our podcast is From Here. And so, you know, we want to kick this off by asking each other that question. And we know it's sort of awkward and, you know, always gives us pause. But Dawn, uh, tell me about where are you from? Yeah, you know, this this question, um, there's so many feelings with this question. And I still struggle with uh, this question sometimes because of all of the times that I've been asked this question in ways where um, I feel like I am being asked this question because I am perceived as not from here. So I'm really glad to have this opportunity to answer this question um, in the way that I want to. So uh, where am I from? I am. Uh, I was actually born in Arizona and moved out to uh, the San Francisco Bay Area when I was two with my parents. And so I really identify as a San Franciscan, even though I'm not a native San Franciscan. And that um, growing up in the city has really shaped a lot of my uh, perspective on the world and experiences. And when we first came to San Francisco, um, my family uh, spent a lot of time. We, you know, we were in Chinatown a lot. I went to school in Chinatown and that actually profoundly shaped my identity as a Chinese American. And so, um, you know, so that question of where are you from is also very complex for me because of that move from Arizona to growing up in San Francisco, but specifically spending a lot of my very early years in San Francisco Chinatown. I still have a lot of memories of going to school and what it was like, um, you know, growing up in San Francisco Chinatown. But I identify um, as a San Franciscan, um, a uh, child of immigrant parents, um, a, uh, someone who, um, you know, feels very, very connected with the Bay Area community. Um, and, uh, you know, I think has a perspective that is also very informed by the, the communities that I spent a lot of time in, you know, as a, as a child and as a teenager in San Francisco, you know, at that time, um, you know, uh, the diversity of the city was something that I saw on a daily basis. And it was Mm -hmm. a kind of diversity that um, was not only a racial and ethnic diversity, but also a very stark uh, social, economic, Mm class-based diversity too. So that fromness also, you know, helped me understand um, being from a family that is also... um, I would say working class, though, you know, there were, I have memories of us 
also struggling at times to um, have food on the table, mm-hmm. but it was something that we never talked about, mm. you know? So the fromness I think is a very complex question. Um, yeah. You know, for me to tackle. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that and for bringing in like all the different pieces. Cause you know, I think so often when, when, the way that I perceive that question is so often just like a geography, right? But what you're talking about isn't just like a specific place, but it's about a community and it's about all the intersections of, of class and race and where and when and all those different pieces. So I think that's, I, I love how you just tease all of that out and bring it together, you know, in terms of your fromness. I love how you yeah. articulated that. Yeah. And I would also say gender um, is a really big part of my fromness too, because I come from a family where it's, there are really strong women in my family, Mm. very loud, opinionated, strong (laughs) women, a very matriarchal kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. family. So that fromness was also very much uh, gendered, you know, too. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the intersectionalities uh, really shape um, how I answer that question. So also depends on who's ans- you know asking me that question. Right, I kind of have yeah, different totally. answers, right? Like for you too, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. So I think like as you're talking about like the you know how formative you know some of your experiences were when you were younger. Um, I'd love to hear more about how you then transitioned into seeing yourself um, as an Asian American parent, and how did that identity crystallize for you, both as an Asian American and as you became a parent? Yeah, um, I didn't want kids for a really long time. You know, I think people are surprised to hear when I say that. Um, but when um, I got together with my partner, that was one of the things that I said very early on where I'm like, I don't think I want kids. So if mm. you aren't okay with that, you know, <laughs> you're, it's, you should probably move on. Right. I was very <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. And I think a lot of it was um, informed by this view of the world as like, I don't feel like, I want to bring in kids to this really messed up world, mm-hmm. right? And this is like, you know, I mean, early 2000s when we started talking about kids. And I, I've been with my partner for a very, very long time, you know, uh, prior to that. And um, and he was just like, okay, right? Mm-hmm. And, and was like, all right, we're not having kids, right? And I thought, wow, all right, then we're not having kids, you know, and that was also, um, so, you know, we were in our relationship for a while. And then um, there came a point, and this is very much wrapped up in also my Asian American identity, right? Sure. Where um, I began to feel more confident in myself as um, a woman, as um, someone who could potentially care for and, and, you know, raise another human being, right? But Mm -hmm. that came really, really late for me. Mm. I didn't Mm -hmm. have my kid until um, very late. Uh, For some people, I would, I I feel like I had my kid kind of late, you know, I was 33, you know, when I had my Mm. kid. And, but the Asian American part of it is that it's that sense of responsibility, that idea that I also wanted, you know, my kid to be raised near my family. And mm-hmm. um, that culture piece was really important. I wanted my kid to have, you know, to hear Chinese being spoken around him to eat sure. Chinese foods, right? Um, I did not want 
um, my child to not have a sense of identity. And I didn't want to be the only, only deliverer of that, you know, that culture piece, right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that identity piece. And so I wasn't settled with my, you know, I didn't have a sense of my career. I didn't, you know, I was, um, still working on, you know, my graduate degrees. I was kind of here and there and everywhere, and I didn't feel settled enough um, and feel responsible enough to be able to do that. Mm. But once I came back into the Bay Area after I finished my master's out in New York, right, I began to, at that confidence, that ability to envision what having and starting a family would be like, you know, um, I began to feel more confident. And really, mm-hmm. if anybody tells you, right, deciding to have kids is honestly it's a leap of faith. Would you say it's a leap of faith? It's it's <laughs> yes. like, there's no way. Like you can, you know, hear people's stories, you can read books, you can see depictions, yep. but there's no freaking way you will ever <laughs> know what it is to be a parent until you are a parent yourself, right? Yeah. And it's a parent to a specific kid too. It's your yes. experience with your kid. Yeah. Like, so that decision, like I personally didn't enter into that decision very lightly. You know, because mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't just about raising another human being, but also being responsible for the, you know, supporting um, their growth in terms of their identities. And because I knew that my child would have to walk through the world as an Asian American, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not they liked it, right? They would always be racialized and treated accordingly. And if I was not prepared for that, if I could not speak to those, experiences and prepare my child, my children, you know, for that, I didn't feel like I would be a responsible person. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was really why it took me so long. And I didn't have a confidence in myself to be able to do that until very, very, uh, very late. I don't know. Some people say late. I feel like they're they're kind of old. I don't know. What do you think? Right? It's all, it's all relative. relative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what, so what was that like for you? Like, as like, you know, you became a parent, like, were there moments that really drove home, you know, some of the questions that you're talking about, like your, your child is walking through the world, like as an Asian American and living in this society, like what were there, what was that like for you having been so intentional about the decision? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, my kid's 11, you know, he's going to be 12 this year. I mean, in retrospect, Delia, I feel like I put too much pressure on myself. <laughs> it was like too much pressure to be this perfect parent, mm-hmm. this Asian, like mm-hmm. who could, you know, it's like the other thing, you know, we talk, you and I talk about all the time is like parenting is this really messy thing that you like 99% of the time you have no control of, right? Like you cling <laughs> on to that 1%, right? Like you never know what's going to happen with your kids. You never know what's, you know, you never know. You just never know, right? And, yeah. and I just look back at my early years. I just, I felt like this immense pressure to be this perfect parent, right? Mm-hmm. To have mm-hmm. like everything, you know, like I would know why he wasn't sleeping, you know, <laughs> and I would have an answer, to try and like sleep train him, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, I understand why first children end up the way they do now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think as things went along, you know, I too was going through this process of, um, and thank goodness, I mean, I got a lot of support. And I learned a lot from um, strong Asian American women 
who mm-hmm. I turn to for support, for inspiration, you know, and and it's really having a strong community of people like you who I could talk to about these things where people, you know, would be like, just listen, you know, and 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 be able to talk about these things where I think Asian American parents and especially Asian American women, right, who are trying to raise race conscious, you know, to be race conscious with their parenting, right? There's mm-hmm. there's so few, you know, people yeah. like that. I could feel like I could honestly have these conversations with, but once I was able to articulate some of these things, right, I think it's like that support and that, um, you know, like just hearing other people, right, was mm-hmm. was really helpful. And so, so I kind of, you know, just started um, being okay with also messing up, mm-hmm. right, or, or, you know, messing up. I'm doing like air quotes, right, <laughs> like a messing up, right? <laughs> and, um, and just, and it was less about doing the right thing, but about enjoying parenting, Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like I, I, if my kid ever, you know, listens to this episode, I have to say that I feel like I spent a lot of the early years, you know, I let some precious moments slip away because I was trying to be too perfect. I was trying mm-hmm. to be, you know, everything because I had put so much pressure on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so many ways that you know that that pressure just gets amplified too even if if, you know it's really strong with you but then like the outside world puts so much on as well that it's just really hard to escape that so I mean I think a lot of parents can relate to just sort of feeling like you have to do everything and the lunches have to be beautiful and this has to be perfect and you have to have the right books and if you don't have the right books and you have to write the watch shows and then you know everything just there's so much there's a lot of shame too especially if you're if you're social justice oriented right there's a lot of shame in actually how do I say this like you don't want to be that one social justice parent that raises the messed up kid Right. There's also that pressure. Right. Like no social justice parent wants to raise that race, you know, that kids that end up being like saying racist, sexist, you know, homophobic things. Right. So there's yeah. also that like pressure that the, that's what yeah. I mean, like that responsibility too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like it was nuts when I was when when my son was, you know, really young, I would already have these questions like I would already have these conversations with him like, you can't do that because blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd be like, you don't want to be racist. But it was just like, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of pressure. But, but you know, I would say around um, seven or eight, that's when I started. I mean, I started really kind of letting go a little bit more um, mm-hmm. because I I had this support network of of you know, women. And I, and, you know, we were all, we, we, we all, you know, shared our, our struggles, right. I've talked to you about like a lot of things and, and I began to see like, it's okay. Right. Yeah. And that's part of growth. And, and that's part of the, the, you know, the ways in which again, parenting is really messy. And so many of these women, you know, including you, you know, kept reminding me like, the fact that I am, you know, already talking to my son about feminism, about even like consent at an early right. age, right? Like that's going to make a difference in the long yeah. run. So things like yeah. that, like it's different with children, you mm-hmm. know, and to give them time and you may not be able to see the results, 
right? Yes, it's not even yeah. about results, right? It's just like, let them grow into who they want to be, right? And that also right. gave me a lot of hope, right? Because I see my other, I see, you know, people like you, I see, you know, my friends and and I see how awesome and wonderful and beautiful, you know, our children are. And, you know, that gives me a lot of hope. So Great. Well, what are the, what are the other things at this particular moment that are giving you hope, recognizing that, you know, we've been sheltering in place and not, you know, have it, being able to connect with these communities in the full way that we're used to? So what are the other things that are giving you hope at this moment as an Asian American parent? Um, you know, I, I think that our kids are even though some of our kids are struggling a lot mm-hmm. um, with shelter in place, right? I actually see a lot of resilience, you know, mm-hmm. in them. And um, our kids are just so amazing, right? And um, my son, who's just, I mean, funny story, but, you know, this past week, I found out, or we we found him a partner, and I found out that... Um, He's like, he hasn't been doing his work. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and so he's been kind of like lying about it. And it's just, it's this really interesting thing. I'm, I'm going to circle back to the hope piece. There's a hope piece into this. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, what's happening? What is he, you know, did he not think that he was going to get caught? Cause right. You're like three weeks behind in work, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> right. We have a very, like, we trust him, you know, very kind of laissez-faire, you know, kind of thing with his work, right? And we're not, it's not about, we're not, you know, um, tiger or helicopter, right? Like, if he, actually, if he doesn't do all the work, it's totally fine. We're not, you know, but it's like that right. you're saying you're doing the work, but you're like not yeah. doing the work, right? Taking responsibility. Yeah. And then, so, what? so, you know, we're having this like really tense confrontation moment, right? And then he comes around and he says, he's, he articulates this and he says, I really miss my friends. And I feel oh. like I spend a lot of time doing work right now. I'm in a lot of Zooms and I know that I need to do my work. I will, but I just really miss my friends. Wow. Right. And there's more, you know, there's more there, right. That he can't, he doesn't know how Mm -hmm. to yet articulate. Right. And even in that moment, right. Him being able to articulate his feelings. Right. Cause you know, like, yeah. We are raising young Asian American boys, right? And they're going to go out into this world and be treated accordingly, right? Mm-hmm. And part of my parenting is to help him understand what it means to grow up, you know, to be an Asian American man, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the key things I've always told him is that, you know, your feelings are good and being aware of your feelings, right? Is something mm-hmm. really important because our society is going to tell you that men don't talk about feelings. They shouldn't cry and all right. this stuff, right? They don't, have feelings. they don't have feelings. They shouldn't, you shouldn't show feelings, right? And so the fact that, you know, even in this moment, he was like, I really miss my friends, right? And he said it in a way that it wasn't making an excuse, right? But being very, sharing. yeah, sharing and honest, right? I mean, we talked about other things too, but just being brave and being 
able to articulate that, you know, really opened the door for us to be able to talk about what was really going on. And, yeah. and just, I mean, it was very brave of him, you know. Right. So I, I see and I hear a lot of parents, you know, sharing these stories with me. And and uh, and that really, you know, gives me hope that, um, you know, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. I think we're good. And, and the other bigger piece of this too, you know, I've been talking to my son about this too, is like, there's been all the xenophobia that's been happening, mm-hmm. right? And I'm talking to him about it. And he, like, he, it's so funny, we have the spelling game that we do. Like, it's like, all right, let's play the spelling game. So we try and come up with words to kind of stump each other. We have to spell it, you know? <laughs> and so he busts out. He's like, he's like, oh, okay, I have a good word. Xenophobia. Right. Uh. <laughs> I'm like, what 11 year old kid, you know, it's like, he's playing a game and he's like xenophobia, you know? So, but the, the, the thing that, you know, um, makes me hopeful and I hope that I, you know, help my son also, um, see the, you know, the, where he can be hopeful too, is I'm talking to him about all these people, all these Asian Americans who are speaking out and standing up against xenophobia. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've always told him, you know, um, when he was ever since he was really young, is like, even when things are bad, pay attention to the people who are the helpers, people who mm-hmm. are speaking up, people who are trying to do what they can to make a change. Right. And this is where moments in our lives where, you know, it might be something as little as, you know, when you see, you know, your friend being bullied, it might be just as simple as saying something. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and in sharing that, you know, with him gives, I think him a sense of hope in terms of identifying his agency when there is so little power we have, it feels like there's so little power being sheltered in place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's like the hardest part, right. Is how do you create those moments to show, you know, that there are ways to be helping, Mm -hmm. even though we're not going to school and we're not seeing our friends in person, you know, and I think that's so important to instill that sense of like, well, you can do something. At this moment, it might feel small in a way, but it might have a really big impact. I think that's so important in this moment. Yeah, I think that's a great. Yeah. And I actually shared with him, I did this wonderful bystander um, uh, intervention training that, um, I forget the this Asian American group was offering. Um, and I actually shared with him, you know, like there's like six steps and actually we talked about it. Right. And then I said, well, what is that? What might that look like for you? Right. Yeah. And then I said, which one do you feel most comfortable doing? Which one, you know, scares you a little, right. We actually like talked about not only like what to do, but what he could authentically do. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so like tying these conversations together, I think um, normalizes that we can do things when we see stuff happening, you know. Right. And don't get me wrong. Like he is still an 11 year old. He's like, honestly, he's <laughs> like, uh, well, can, can I can I go play? Uh, can I go play Fortnite now? Are we done? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he's used to it you know he's like oh that's my mom and and i'm like one day i'm gonna have to one day he's gonna realize like oh not every parent's like this okay yeah <laughs> 
So, but thanks for your questions. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing. And I think it gives like such important insight to you, like as a parent, but also, you know, I think raising really, really meaningful questions around like, how do we become parents? And how do we make that choice? Or what is that process like? Because I think for everybody, it's so different, you know, in terms of how they got to to where they are. So thank you for sharing. I love our conversations. It's so great to hear you know, the ways, the different ways that we got to where we are at this moment together, like having this conversation. So yeah, thank you for listening and and asking me those questions. So yeah. Great. Well, that wraps up um, this, this interview. And, you know, we really appreciate everyone listening. And we're looking forward to future conversations and interviews um, here. Yes. Uh, Thanks so much, listeners for being with us. And we'll, we'll, Hear you soon at our next episode.